God is a God of purpose, and God is a God of joy. The God of joy means that He Himself has the capacity and the need for enjoyment, something to make Him happy. The fact that He is the God of joy means also that He's very good at spreading this joy and causing those whom He loves, that is us, to enjoy Him. And we are uh, exercised in the Lord to see the connection between the enjoyment of God and the purpose of God. And last night, the title of that message was Enjoying God and Living for His Purpose. In uh, practicality, uh, when we have any choice at all in our human situation, and we don't have that many because of the pressures of human life, we live for what we enjoy. If we only are motivated by a sense of obligation, of duty, that's really the principle of the law. There's a requirement laid upon us. Even the requirement itself may be holy and righteous. But it's laid upon us. It doesn't bring in any supply. And what we try to do is to exercise our natural strength to fulfill that requirement, to please God. That is living under law. And... The Apostle Paul struggled fiercely against the influence of this kind of teaching. That now you're obligated to the law, you're under law. You should realize that this is the situation. And Paul said, you're fallen from grace. When you are under law, under an obligation, trying to meet the requirement, you're fallen from grace. That's his word that means you are fallen away from the enjoyment of Christ. God has a tremendous purpose, and we'll look at this in a fresh way very soon. We were created for this purpose. And in creating us, God planted in our heart a longing for something eternal. Just that simple song we sang at first. Drinking at the fountain that never runs dry. That's the longing for something eternal. Young people can't realize this and they don't realize this. There's no point in preaching at them, but all the fountains run dry. Every one of them. That the baseball fountain is going to run dry either for the Yankees or the Angels, and I don't know where the National League is, 
And when it's all over, only one team will be pouring out the champagne, I suppose. And then three years from now, almost no one will remember. Who won the World Series in, 19, in 2005? It all runs dry. No matter what it is, if it's in the human's realm, you may have a really, really good marriage. You're so harmonious, and there's such affection and mutual care and satisfaction, but that fountain's going to run dry. Every fountain in the human realm runs dry. And in the human spirit is a longing for something eternal, something that transcends this physical realm. That is the God-implanted realization that we exist for an eternal purpose. Have you ever considered that we are eternal beings, not by creation, but by having eternal life. You ever realize this? That you will actually never die. That was the Lord's word in John eleven twenty five. He who believes in me will never die. In the sight of God, there's no such thing. That if we go to be with the Lord before he comes back, we'll be resurrected and we will enjoy him eventually for eternity. So, it, so it's human to long for something that will match this desire in our being for purpose and meaning. Sadly, in more affluent societies, this longing is buried. It's suppressed because there are so many options available in the psychological and physical realm for enjoyment. And human beings need enjoyment, and if they don't have God as their enjoyment, they, they have to find something that gives them an element of happiness. When I was in graduate school, I had a professor who was a Holocaust survivor. It was miraculous how she was saved. Her, her family was liquidated. And she has devoted her academic life mainly to teach on the Holocaust, to remind the upcoming generation of what happened. And although she is a Jew, she has nothing of the belief of the Jews. And she subscribes to this philosophy that life is tragic, and she has reason to believe this. It has no purpose, and only in music in great music, can you rise above it for a short time? And one time in class, she played 
Bach's St. Matthew Passion. And I was studying her, the look on her face, when we came to a certain portion of that. And I saw Dr. So-and-so, I saying to myself, this is your only salvation. How sad. The only hope. Well, this is the human fact. And when we look at our fellow human beings, we should realize concerning them, they need real enjoyment. And they need to be linked to God's eternal purpose. In the life study of Exodus, okay, before I mention that, in the book of Exodus, if you scan the whole book just in your head, in chapter 1, the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. They do have a certain amount of Egyptian supply that they remembered in the wilderness when they were having manna every day, manna cakes, manna souffle, manna sandwiches, manna soup, manna stew, a raw manna, cooked manna, baked manna, oiled manna, 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 manna. They remembered, oh, we remember what we had in Egypt. And they were toiling there to build up treasure cities for Pharaoh. At the end of Exodus, you have the tabernacle, which represents God's people as his dwelling place. This is full salvation. In the life study of Exodus, Brother Lee points out, regarding the labor there in Egypt, that people make their existence the meaning and purpose of their existence. And on the gospel preaching side of my service to the Lord, part of my commission, I don't know how well I do at this, is to arouse discontent in people regarding mere existence. And this is a challenge with Americans because they just don't like to be quiet for five minutes to think about these things. But it's nevertheless a fact. Human beings need God as their enjoyment. And human beings need a sense of purpose. We're created this way. You may even argue, under the influence of professors at UCSD, there is no human nature. There's only the conditioning of culture. There is nothing innate you can call human. They can argue all they want. They can get a Nobel Prize in it. The fact is, we were created by God with a need for enjoyment, with the understanding God himself would meet this need. And we are created with a sense of a purpose. And only God's eternal purpose can satisfy this. And sooner or later, 
Every human being will recognize this. There are no dead atheists. As soon as they die, they realize there is a God after all. And Philippians 2 tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's just a matter of when. If not when you're 35, maybe when you're 55. If not when you're 55, maybe when you're 75. You will realize whether or not your life made any sense and whether it contributed anything to God's purpose. And some of my colleagues from decades back who think more or less that I'm crazy for giving up all that we were laboring for. I don't say this that they would be put down. I just say this with this realization they will eventually admit Ron Kangas, you made the best choice. Amen. You made the best choice. So this is the underlying realization from the human side. That in our human makeup is this longing for real enjoyment and longing for purpose. Now, before we come to the second outline, I'm going to look at this from God's side. And for this, we need Ephesians. And chapter 1, verse 4 says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish, before him in love. Before the foundation of the world means in eternity. Before there was a universe, any angels, any persons, God, according to his good pleasure and his will, formed his purpose. His purpose is to have a corporate expression of himself in Christ, with Christ's many brothers. And in eternity past, God chose us in Christ. You may say, how could he do that? I didn't exist. Well, let me tell you something about God. He is really God. Amen. And he has foreknowledge. And he chose us and determined that we would exist in eternity. That was settled. I met Manny last night. I drank of his spirit. I'm glad we're enjoying the Lord together. God knew in eternity past that Manny will be part of his purpose. And at a certain time, he's going to listen to the radio. And he is going to hear things that echo within his being. Amen. He, God chose us. 
It was settled before there was a universe. And listen, he chose us to be holy. Now, who is holy? Only God is holy. Emphatically tells us this. I alone am holy. Now, let's be logical. Only God is holy. Then for us to be holy means what? It means we become God in his nature of holiness. It's so clear to me now. The high peak of the divine revelation is not an afterthought. God chose you to be holy. Now, since God made that choice, is there any doubt about the outcome? That you will be holy. He needs to have the new Jerusalem before him, holy and without blemish. I have the full expectation all the blemishes will be gone. You know, we've been in the church life together. We're aware of one another's blemishes to some extent. Sometimes that's all we can see. Someone stands up and we just have eyes for the blemish. And at, I'm, I'm glad God doesn't just have eyes for the blemish. Before him in love. Okay? This is part of God's purpose. Then verse 5 tells us, predestinating us unto sonship through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. To predestinate is to mark out beforehand in such a way that you determine the result. You determine the outcome ahead of time. And sorry, the theologians miss the mark about predestination. They say, are you predestined to be saved? Are you predestined to, to perish? That isn't the thought. The thought is God has a good pleasure, something that makes him happy. What makes God happy is that we would have something called sonship which involves the life of the Son of God. So in verse 4, we have the nature of God. In verse 5, we have the life of God. This is according to the good pleasure of God. And this is for the glorious expression of God. That's His purpose. Settled in eternity past, then verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, with which He graced us in the Beloved. Now immediately, He goes to the matter of grace, which is God being our enjoyment, and He graced us, and look at the term He uses, in the Beloved. In the Beloved. This reminds me of Song of Songs. The Beloved. Can you recall a time 
This is meant to encourage you, but I begin this way. Can you recall a time in your conversations with the Lord, you have called him your beloved? Either as a noun, oh, my beloved, I delight in you. Or used beloved as an adjective. Beloved Lord Jesus. Immediately, we have the thought of enjoyment. All of this takes place in the Beloved. God the Father declared in Matthew 3, in Matthew 17, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I have found my delight. We have yet to explore how enjoyable it is simply to be in the Beloved. We are in the one who is beloved of God, who is God's delight. And we are called into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. That means we're called into a realm of enjoyment and delight. This is the kingdom. So the point I'm trying to make here from these verses is that God's purpose is to have a group of people who are holy even as He is holy and who partake of the divine sonship which involves the life and position of the sons with glory. God desires to have this kind of people for the body of Christ, for His corporate expression. This is His purpose. And this purpose is carried out by grace. Grace is not merely unmerited favor. You're in a pitiful situation so I'm kind to you. Uh, I go outside and someone has a sign, we'll work for food. No, I'm not cynical. What that means is, please give me money. It's not about work. Uh, if you offered him a job, I'm not sure he would be happy. Anyway, if I gave him $5, someone might say, that's grace. I feel that's too low. Grace is the triune God in Christ as the Spirit, being everything to us, doing everything for us, supplying everything we need in the way of enjoyment. That's why every day in the morning I pray, Lord, please supply me with today's portion of your all-sufficient grace. And this morning I sat on the side of my bed, and I was reminded of my own word from last night. He said, Lord, I'm here to enjoy you. Amen. And you are here to present yourself to me for my enjoyment. So my prayer was, and how unmanly, you may say, my prayer was, let him kiss me with Amen. the kisses of his mouth. Amen. For your love is better than wine. Amen. Isn't that enjoyment? Amen. 
And then I was reminded of a verse at the end of Psalm 2. The first part of the verse is a kind of gospel command. Kiss the Son. So now you have the two kisses. Let him kiss me. And God says, you need to kiss the Son. That is to love him and to enjoy him. I don't know if I'll really have the leading ever to do this, but I would like sometime to give a message with a one-word title, Kisses. <laughs> Kisses. I don't know what will happen when the bride and bridegroom meet. Do you think it will be formal? Do you think the Lord will say, Good day, I'm the Lord Jesus. Pleased to meet you. Do you think that's how Adam greeted Eve? He'd just say, hello, I'm man. Right away he recognized this is his counterpart, this is his completion, this is his match. In a certain sense, the outworking of God's eternal purpose depends on lots of kisses. In the divine romance, when Brotherly began the momentous life study of the Bible in December 1974, with the life study of Romans, as you know, he began with these words, the Bible is a romance. It's a romance. And we don't have the time this weekend, but actually we need a message to show the enjoyment in the divine romance. That is the highest level of human enjoyment. So I believe you have some impression on the human side, in our human nature, is the need to find something pleasurable, delightful, joyful, enjoyable, Something that will make us happy. I used to scorn this. Because at 19, I decided, based upon experiences, whatever the future will hold for me, there will be no love and no happiness. Love cannot last once you know the person that you claim to love, then love will evaporate. You will love your concept. You will love the image. You will love your dream. To love an actual person, once the person's known, once the dream bursts, my short life history told me, that's when it ends. So let's not even expect it. Let's just settle for respect. <coughs> Pretty sad at 19. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sad. I, I really needed salvation. <laughs> and then happiness, I thought, was, that's for idiots. I mean, how, how can you be looking for that kind of thing in the world in which we live? It's so superficial. But... The Lord had mercy on me, and now 
more than 50 years later, half a century, a 20th of a millennium, I now, having repented thoroughly of such notions, tell you I'm in love. And I live in the divine romance. And I'm happy. And as I testified last night using Brother Nee's experience, the deepest persons are those who enjoy the Lord in the midst of their human situation. The in Philippians... I'm so thankful for the young brother who read Philippians 4 before his exam. That doesn't mean don't study, read Philippians 4, and you'll (laughs) ace your exams. But it means there's a time to stop laboring and just to enjoy the Lord. But in that same epistle, Paul said, the Lord spared this brother who was sick unto death, lest I would have sorrow upon sorrow. So he's sorrowing on one level and he's rejoicing on another level. That's why joy is the deepest. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. It means that that's not all that happens inside of us. That's not the last word. So I am, every time I touch this, I'm vitalized and revived within. When God's purpose and God is our enjoyment come together in our being, it produces a very lovely result. We enjoy the Lord more. This motivates us to seek Him, to open to Him. When we enjoy Him, we're one with Him. We're open to Him. Then we receive His dispensing. And that brings in more enjoyment And then we respond with consecration. We're willing for his will to be done, whatever it is. That's when we say these daring things. Lord, I give my whole life to you. I just open to you unconditionally. Do whatever you want. You do this in moments of enjoyment. You don't do this because someone pressures you to do this. That's not the way that we take. It's just that you're loving the Lord, you're enjoying the Lord, you're happy in the Lord, you're opening to the Lord. Then you say these reckless things like, I'll even go to the full-time training. I'll even migrate to Ethiopia, Lord. I'll migrate to North Dakota. I'll go anywhere. And according to your realization, that's more or less a kind of symbolic way of speaking, indicating your openness. Eventually the Lord might say, you know, Fargo, Fargo, North Dakota, not bad. I'll tell you something. This is a little sidebar. An FTTA graduate a few years ago, faithfully serving at UCLA. This last summer, she took a trip to check out Fargo, North Dakota. And she brought back a very good report. This is my realization. That when young adults because she's one of these. When they enjoy the Lord, they become willing to move from Southern California to Fargo, North Dakota. How about that? And there'll be no miraculous change of climate there, but that's where the joy will be. 
So I, I think this main point is coming across. To put together the purpose of God and the enjoyment of God. Our enjoying God and living for His purpose. Now, in the remaining time this morning, we want to focus on one aspect of this. Coming to the fountain of living waters and drawing water from the springs of salvation for the consummation of the divine economy. There is such a reality as the fountain. The fountain. It's not just the living water. We need to discover the fountain. And in our living, there needs to be the fountain, the spring or the springs of salvation are in the Son as the emergence of the Father for His expression. The streams or the river, that's the Spirit. But you cannot have the streams and the springs without the fountain. And actually, the ultimate issue in one's human life is what is the fountain? Do you have a fountain? And there's a principle here that I'll now try to explain. The fountain signifies source. And the unique source in this universe, is God the Father. He is the only source. Father equals source. And the Father is the fountain. Now when God examines things that are quite complicated, He traces everything to the source. So I read on, looked online, and I printed it out, an article in Christianity Today about Halloween. And I could tell the argument is, oh, Halloween is something of God, and this needs to be recovered in the life of the believers. Well, if you trace it to the source, the source, all the way back, is not God, but the enemy of God as an illegitimate source in the universe. This rebellious archangel made himself a father producing descendants. He's a serpent. He produces serpents. And that's John 8, 44. He said, you are out from your father, the devil. To show you how significant this is, when we allow ourself to be the source, 
we are covertly or to us indirectly involved with this source other than God. I've been asked a number of times by seeking saints and I'm happy to fellowship. How do you determine the subjects of the conferences and the trainings? Like with this last elders training, living and serving in the divine dispensing of the divine trinity. How did you arrive at that? And I say, it's simple in essence. We go to the Father as the source of everything. Only He has the right to initiate anything. And we come to Him with this realization. This is not... a. a a situation where our mind or our experience or our heart has any right to generate anything. And the Father honors this and He gives one of the brothers a sense. Then there is prayer and waiting on the Lord. Then there is fellowship. And then eventually the realization that this is of the Lord. This is a huge responsibility. We will have the Thanksgiving conference. The number who can attend in Indianapolis is limited. Thousands more will watch the webcast or the video. That will lead to the Holy Word for Morning Revival on that general subject. Churches all over the earth will pursue this. How dare we bring in something into the Lord's recovery that is not issue from God the Father as the unique source. As you may know, either by direct experience or by hearing from other experiences, when the dear brothers and sisters come to the full-time training in Anaheim, they sign a consecration agreement. And item seven on this consecration agreement is that they will not initiate, they will not carry out, you know, what we would call a romantic relationship. We can't have trainees dating on their time off and have a training. Okay. That's the background. And it, it, without fail, I meet with the fourth-term brothers at their request, at the fourth-term sisters at their request. What do you want to talk about? There's no agenda. It always comes down to the subject. <laughs> and that is getting married and all of this. I'm not going to give you the whole presentation, I just say this. Number one, when you have a feeling, you need to acknowledge all feelings. Then, pray concerning what is the source. Lord, if you are the source of this, then I open to you if you are not the source of this, then I stand against it. 
If there's any area of my life where I want you to be the source, it has to be my married life. Well, we need to go beyond just the, the drinking and drink a river to see where the river comes from. You can't really have the river or the springs without the fountain. And the fountain is the unique source. And God our Father is the fountain of life. Now, in Jeremiah 2.13, we have this powerful word. The Lord through the prophet says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They have forsaken me. And then they have hewed out cisterns, containers. But they're broken and can hold no water. That's the history of the human race. Forsaking the fountain. Not just drifting from the fountain, forsaking the fountain. I'm a church kid, now I'm 18, I'm at Berkeley, living in the dorm. I am out of here. I am forsaking the fountain. But then you have to have some enjoyment, you have to have some supply. So you get a PhD in cistern building. Or you're a graphic designer, so you design the cisterns. You design something to contain whatever human enjoyment is generated. And without fail, every system, every cistern ever constructed by man is broken. You put your trust in a cistern, don't have the stock market be your system. Don't have this kind of economic situation, this kind of political leader. Some are drinking of a broken cistern politically. They had such a hope. And now less than a year, they're looking for something else. Well, if we are to enjoy God, we need to enjoy Him as the river of water of life, as the river of God's pleasures. Psalm 36, 9 says, With you is the fountain of life. We need to come to the fountain. And this is the burden in my heart this morning in particular. That we would realize within our regenerated spirit, is a fountain. What does the Lord himself say in John 4 and verse 14? But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall by no means thirst forever, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain, 
a fountain of water gushing up, springing up into eternal life. If we ignore the source, the fountain, but try to enjoy the springs or the river, it won't work. The Lord is merciful. You come to the river, you call on the Lord three times, you get a little sip. But the fundamental issue has not been settled in your being. That is, what is the fountain? Now this is practical. And my dear brothers and sisters, I have to be faithful. I'm accountable to the Lord for what I say and what I don't say. I have a daughter 41, a son 39, another son 35. Humanly speaking, I am their father, but I am not their fountain. I have no right to replace the fountain in their living. How can I be the source of their life's direction? How can I presume to determine their spiritual destiny, to make for them basic life decisions? They need to discover the Father fountain themselves. And their human father would like to take the lead to point them to another father, to another source. And I'd like to tell them this. What is in my heart concerning you is that you would always go to this source. Should you get an MBA, son? Should you stop your job now and get an MBA at a top 20 school? I don't know. Who am I to say yes? Who am I to say no? He's over 30 years old. Even I cannot force him to go to the Father as the fountain. But he will know. He will always know. No matter what he takes. His dad lived out from the fountain. Sooner or later, the Son will take the way of the Father. So we may make the mistake of forsaking the fountain. And we may make the mistake of presuming of being the fountain. The leading brothers are not a fountain. They cannot tell you, should you migrate or not? Should you marry that person or not? Should you go to the training or graduate school or not? We can only fellowship and pray and together honor the fountain. And you're not accountable to me. If you want to say, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord showed me, the Lord spoke to me. That's your word. That's your responsibility whether God will agree with you and whether God will take responsibility for what you're attributing to Him, that's another matter. Within me, I have reservations because you're so strong to say, God told me, God showed me, God spoke to me. Everything is non-negotiable. Who are you, little man? 
Well, we're nothing. But I don't want to see my sister deceived and to meet the Lord and have the Lord to say, I never said that. I never told you that. I never showed you that. That was your own heart. You never sought me out. When we realize there is a fountain of living waters that is the source of eternal enjoyment, then our daily enjoyment of God will be solidified. Another way of speaking about this is from Revelation 22. He showed me a river of water of life, bright as crystal, proceeding out. Not just the river. The river of water of life proceeds out. That source, even the Greek word indicates, out from as the source. The throne of God and of the Lamb. That's the redeeming God. The delightful river flows out of there. If you have no throne and you have no fountain, yeah, you want to enjoy the Lord. It won't last the next weekend. It'll, it'll be gone by Thursday if it's not gone by Tuesday. Because the source isn't settled. You want a spring. You want a river. But you may not realize the spring and the river originate from the fountain. Our father Abraham had to learn this very lesson. It took him almost a hundred years. So don't give up on yourself. You're nowhere near a century old. And you've learned some things already. God said you'll have a son. Okay, he believed him. God approved him. No son. Decades go by. No son. So, married brothers, we have to learn something here. Sarah comes. Okay, look. We don't have a child. Here's my idea. You take Hagar, my handmaid, you go into her and have a child. So this, this is the repetition of Genesis 3. Abraham takes his wife, wife's word, goes into Hagar, has his son, Ishmael. And then what does the wife do? Sarah comes back and condemns him for doing the very thing that she suggested that he do. So being a husband is really hard because if you won't take her suggestion, she'll cry. And if you take her suggestion, eventually she'll judge you for not being a man. What, 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 why did you do it? But anyway, God is dealing with Abraham, not with Sarah very much. And God doesn't communicate with him for 13 years or so. Then when God comes, he reaffirms the covenant, and then he cuts his flesh and institutes circumcision. And eventually, when it's impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a son, they have a son. And God learns there's a father. That I spoke to some young adults in Jacksonville at their request. And one of the things I said to them or asked them, do you know that you have a father? Do you have a father? According to Matthew 6, the father knows what you need. Or are you a young adult without a father? 
So now everything in your human life and your family life is going to depend on you or on the world situation, or on the price of gas, or upon the stock market, or upon whether or not the public option is in the health care bill that passes. You either have a father experientially or you don't. You have a father. I'm happy to tell you, I have a father. Amen. I have a father. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we have an unusual expression found only there where Paul greets the church in God the Father, the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, indicating the church exists in the unique source. Everything in the church life must come from the fountain. The biggest mistake that responsible brothers or serving saints can make in the church is to take action apart from the fountain as the unique source. That I don't want to go into the details, but even blended brothers, even co-workers together may make this mistake. Someone brings up a proposal. Oh, let's have, let's have the Memorial Day conference in this place. Then the brothers say, yeah, we feel good. No prayer. No inquiring of the Lord. No waiting on the Lord. We have to fellowship. But the fellowship cannot replace coming to the fountain. Brothers and sisters, for eternity, I can only faintly imagine, after we have been together as the New Jerusalem for a trillion, billion years, the river of water of life will flow afresh from the fountain. And we'll have enjoyment that we never had before. And this is never, ever going to stop. I mean... Forever. Amen. Because that's God. Amen. And by the end of the millennium, all the children of God will be matured and perfected, and everyone will honor the Father as the source, as the fountain. So now let's go through the outline, and then there will be ample time for sharing. God's intention in his economy is to be the fountain, the source of living waters to satisfy his chosen people for their enjoyment. Amen. Now, when the Father has an intention, uh, we need to pay attention because he rarely is explicit. Mature, even maturing, human fathers eventually learn when their sons and daughters are older. The, the crucial thing is that it matters to them what you feel. Not that you tell them what you feel. Actually, if you have to tell them, that is disappointing. That means they can't sense it. 
when someone has an intention, as God did in Genesis 18 when he appeared to Abraham, he doesn't disclose it directly much of the time. He indicates it. And I believe even in married life that the wise may be like this. Don't you, don't you know? I mean, don't you know? Do I have to tell you? It wrecks everything. I just want you to know without my telling you. Amen. And then we, we, we are really stupefied. We say, what are you talking about? But eventually you realize it makes perfect sense. I mean, which is sweeter for God to announce, I am the fountain, I want you all to come to me as the fountain. I'm not saying he'll never do this. Or for him to indicate, to suggest, to indirectly communicate, oh, there's a fountain, there's a fountain of living water, the fountain of living waters. That's the intention. If we only relate to the Lord on the basis of explicit declaration, our relationship is not that developed. As our relationship develops, we will also relate on the level of intention. We'll just know. This is what's in his heart. He doesn't have to say we don't have to say, it's just understood. You want me to do this, don't you? Right? You want me to go to the training, don't you? Here I am coming to you as a big computer, entering the data, wanting a printout. This is my will. Go to the training. When the Father may prefer that you come to Him, you enjoy Him, you love Him, He loves you, and then you just get this impression. Ah, the training, the full-time training. And then you may say, I had this feeling about going to the training, Lord. Do you want me to go to the training? And he may not say, go to the training. He, he just continues to give you this impression. You should go in this direction. This is really lovely. Well, this is his intention he wants to be the fountain to you. To you. How can he be the fountain to the whole church if he's not the fountain to anyone in the church? Amen. How can he be the fountain to the whole recovery if he's not the fountain to anyone in the recovery? Amen. And this is to satisfy you for your enjoyment. So, are you satisfied? This last week, as you look, we need to live a life of inward satisfaction, not based on any outward thing. And it's for our enjoyment. Now, this enjoyment has a goal. The goal of this enjoyment is to produce the church as God's increase, God's enlargement, to be God's fullness for his expression. So the enjoyment has a goal because God has a purpose. So he becomes a fountain to you. He satisfies you for your enjoyment. He does this in so many members. 
day by day, then the outcome is the church. It's the church life. And for God's increase and God's expression. So there is a goal to the enjoyment. It's not aimless. It's not an end in itself. But you don't have to worry that much about the goal. You just come to the fountain of living water, open your being, let the river flow, let your being be satisfied, and then this living water will operate in you to carry out the goal. You'll have the sense, I really need to contact this person. I really need to invite this one to my home. I need to send an email to this person, right? This shows how when the fountain is operating through the springs and the river, it is producing the church. If we have the church without this, the best we can do will be an imitation. It will be an android. It will be a robotic church. Seemingly so efficient, functions so well, but it's not organic. So the Lord will judge it and destroy it because his body is altogether organic. God needs to be the fountain of living waters to his elect because he has an economy. And his economy is to produce a counterpart, a bride for himself. So we're saying God needs He needs to be the fountain so that there can be the bride. The parallel isn't exact, but I think it makes the point that Adam needed a counterpart. But God did not create her from dust. There had to be part of Adam. There had to be the bone in order to build the woman as the match for the man. Well, God wants to build a counterpart for himself, but his way is to be the living water to all of us. So I need to come to the living water, not not just for myself, but for the church, for the Lord's recovery. When we come together for the Thanksgiving conference and I have a portion, Lord, I need to come to the fountain for the whole recovery. So does Brother Ed. So does Brother Benson. All the brothers. This is not an individualistic thing. I'm going to be with the saints in San Diego. I think I'm over jet lag now, coming back from China. I don't know what the situation (laughs) is. But Lord, I need the fountain, not just for myself, but for the dear saints. For the church in San Diego County. Then you may say, Lord, we need to be the fountain to refresh our brother that he's coming here. He needs us to refresh him. Right? This is a mutual matter. He lives in the body. There's a lovely portion in the life study of Ephesians where Brother Lee points out how the husbands need to, I can't quote it exactly, need to receive something of Christ for their wives. And there are times you, you dare not say anything to them. I found this out by accident. And that is, for a period of time, My wife just wasn't that interested in reading the ministry materials. This is a long time ago. And I gave up trying to interest her because nothing worked, because I wasn't one with the Lord. So one day she starts talking to me about something in the way of enjoyment. 
And I realized that's from a book that I was reading and I was enjoying something. And I had left it around without any intention. I left it on the table somewhere. And she picked it up. Then this happened one more time and I became enlightened. Oh, the way to nourish this person is to first be nourished myself and then to make it available to the other party without demand. Now, this is not a method. Don't go home and plant ministry books all over the place. Don't put one in her drawer and one, one in the hamper. Put one on the, on the seat in the bathroom. I mean, okay, <laughs> with her intuition, she's going to pierce through this. You're not going to survive the day until you're nailed on that. Don't turn it into a method. But this is the intrinsic way. The woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, she was desperate. We'll come back to this, I think, tonight as an illustration. She was desperate for her daughter to be healed. And she went to the Lord, even though she didn't have the standing and the Lord didn't respond. Then she adjusted her approach and the Lord said, you know, the bread is for the children of Israel, not for the dogs. She said, the little dogs eat the crumbs. And he said, that settles it. His intention was not first to touch the problem, but to supply the nourishment. And this is a huge principle. By the Lord's mercy, I began to learn this. I'm still learning it. In the early years of the church life. And Brother Lee says, when a person is fellowshipping with you, when there's a situation you're helping with, do not first touch the problem. First care for the person. Someone comes to you, you get one side of the story, you react, you make a decision to take some action, you're heading for destruction. First, take care of the person. And then, touch the situation. Well, this is the Lord being the life supply. He could have just said, I have mercy on you. The demon is gone. I have authority. The demon's gone. Then what would have been gained? Intrinsically. Problem is solved. The demon's gone. My daughter's okay. I don't have to go to the Lord again. I'm so thankful that he did this. But he waited to resolve the problem until he revealed himself to her as crumbs. And whether her daughter is well or not well, she'll need to eat those crumbs for the rest of her life. We do need to enjoy the Lord, even eventually, for the Lord's own sake. Lord, if I don't enjoy you, you have no way to carry out your economy. You have no way to have a ministry today. You have no way to have a move. You need to give yourself to me for my enjoyment, for your own sake. He's happy to hear this. Two, God wants us to take him as the fountain, the source of our life and our being. We have really emphasized this strongly. 
the principle in the Bible is that God does not want his chosen people to take anything other than himself as the source. I remember many years ago, um, there was a certain provision for some needy saints to be able to participate in an activity uh, of the church, able to go to a conference somewhere. And I remember a very dear sister expressing her appreciation that this came from the church. But actually, she shouldn't have that thought. She realized the source of this is not the church. The church, the church is the dispenser. We should not have a kind of clinging dependency on the church in a way that replaces the fountain. We do depend on the body as a way of indicating our dependence on the head. The Father is the unique source. And nothing, no person, Brother Lee would never allow us to take him as the source. He would always say, you need to pray. What does that mean? You need to go to the Father. You need to go to the source. I am not the fountain. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't fellowship with the brothers. We're living in the body of life together. But don't look to the church to be the fountain. The church is the expression of the fountain, spring, and river. It's not the fountain itself. Eventually, all the members of the church need to learn to have faith in the fountain. And even if the fountain supplies you 150 times through the same channel, that channel is not the source. Wasn't Elijah supplied in a certain way or one of the prophets through a widow? Then eventually there was no more supply, so the ravens came. I don't know if they stopped at In-N-Out Burger or whatever it is, <laughs> that they came with food. Amen. That doesn't mean you start looking for ravens every day. Do you see a raven, any trace of a raven? The ravens are not the source, and ravens are raptorial birds. They're not clean birds. This is a crucial lesson. And the earlier we learn it in our life with the Lord, the better it will be for us and better for our whole life in the Lord and in the church. Amen. We don't take anything other than God the Father as the source. Amen. There was a dear sister who had an opportunity to go on a very special trip. I don't want to give the details. She's not a young person. Her husband's not a young person. And as far as, it, as far as we know, there's no reason why she would not go. There's the provision. It's not that long. It might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to visit this part of the earth. And she's a, a wife respecting her husband. Then he says no. My concern is not that he said no. But what was the source of that no? I'm the head. I'm the man. I'm the man. Well, yeah, and the head of every man is Christ, right? What about that? You're the head to her. What, what about your head? 
is your no or your yes. Maybe you're a nice guy, you say yes. This is serious. When I talk at their request to the trainee sisters in fourth term about marriage, I said one thing you need to consider, not just whether you like the person, you love him. Will you trust him to take the Lord as his head because he's going to be your head? Do you feel secure being under him? Are there indications that he's learning this? I'm not afraid to be the head to my wife. I'm exercised to be the head to my wife, but I realize all the time the real husband is not me. The real husband is Christ himself. Amen. I'd like to point her to him. Let's all be under him. And I, I'm part of the bride just like you. Although I'm being a man, getting used to this female thing is quite an adjustment. Okay, B, the triune God has been processed and consummated in order to dispense himself into our being. Oh, how these words can roll off our tongue. How wonderful that he has made himself able to be dispensed. By dispensing himself into us as life, God is accomplishing his economy that he may have a corporate expression of himself for eternity. I wonder what would happen over the whole earth if everyone in the recovery Let's just say, okay, any given morning, and all the thousands of us in every country, every one of us, one by one, spent a substantial period of time in the morning of that day, fully open to the Lord, coming him, to Him as the fountain, receiving His dispensing in such a way that He had a free way through every member of every church in the recovery. You know what that would be? That would be the body of Christ. Amen. The Lord on that day would be able to do whatever he wanted. You want to pray about this? You need to give this. You need to go there. You need to make this decision. This is not a small thing. Because when he dispenses, he has a way to carry out his economy. We need to drink of God as the fountain of living waters so that he may increase for the fulfillment of his economy to have his expression through his counterpart. Increase in your being. Now, this is for reflection, not for introspection. I think it's been two years since I've been here. Do you have the sense that in the last 700 plus days, God has increased in you? I believe many of us can say sincerely, Maybe not every day. We've had our ups and downs. We've had our days and nights. But God has increased. And I'd like to testify, there's more God in San Diego County than when I last came here. And one of the saints was testifying last night, and I knew who this one was. I remembered this one. And I was so thankful in my spirit to see the increase of Christ in this person. And this person, I'm sure, because this is real, is totally unaware of it. But it's so clear to someone visiting after a period of time, God is increasing in so many of the saints for his expression. Now we come to Isaiah 12. Therefore you will draw water with rejoicing 
from the springs of salvation. Uh, so the drawing itself, soon as you begin to draw water, the hallelujahs are starting to come. You're not in a hallelujah mood. And you don't have hallelujah energy in your body, but you're starting to draw the water and, oh, wow, hymns are coming to you, drinking at the fountain that never runs dry. Okay. This hymn, this hymn, where did it come from? Where did this hymn come from? Right? With rejoicing, you draw water out. Not out of your own spirit only, but in love to draw water out of one another's spirit. You know, don't go and get in someone's face and say, praise the Lord, because you happen to be in a praise the Lord mood. <laughs> you offend them by your praise the Lord. But why don't you lower yourself, you humble yourself, you make yourself smaller. And by a loving exercise, you draw water out of the spring of salvation in your brother's spirit. The fountain is the source, the springs are the issue of the source, and the river is the flow. I like this word, draw water. Draw water. It's, you have to lower something down and you bring it up. I, I wouldn't call it a labor, but it is an exercise. But the rejoicing even comes with the drawing. In the Bible, a spring signifies Life that flows out of God in resurrection into his chosen people. So we have a spring in us. Springing up. And isn't this your testimony? You just consider your life up to this point. That no matter what has happened to you. No matter what has happened to those whom you love in your primary relationship. No matter how much death experience there has been, the fountain is still springing up. Amen. There's still a springing up. That's resurrection. See, it's resurrection. It's not simply life. It's resurrection life. And therefore, resurrection cannot be held by anything. The strongest power next to God is death. And... This spring is life in resurrection. So it breaks through, not just outwardly. It breaks through all the layers in your own being. And you can sing again. You can rejoice again. You can be happy again. Not because of a mood shift. Not because of a change in environment. Some of us have learned certain environments, they're just not going to change our whole life. They're just not going to change. At least we have no ground to expect them to change. So the change has to be inward, where death is defeated in our own being, and the water springs up again. And it's the springs of salvation, so now it saves you. Don't you want to be sanctified? Don't you want to be renewed, transformed, come formed, glorified, built up? Don't you want to mature in life, reign in life? This is a spring springs of salvation. There's an inner saving going on. The term, the springs of salvation, implies that salvation is the source. And you read that whole chapter, it's a real short one. Jehovah, 
is my salvation. God is my salvation. Amen. So it's another way of saying that salvation that is the fountain is the source of the springs of salvation. The source of the springs of salvation is a fountain. And the fountain is salvation. So the Father, the fountain, and salvation are all one. The Father knows we need salvation. Amen. This is the salvation in Philippians 1 and following. This will turn to my salvation through your petition. If you don't petition, I don't know how it will turn out. And through the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that means in his, in his circumstances, he would be saved from the pressure of his environment so that he could live and magnify Christ. The springs which are Christ issue out of the fountain and become the rivers which are the Spirit. Sometimes in private, I praise the Lord like this. Oh, fountain, spring, spirit. Father, Son, Spirit, I praise you. I worship you. I've got fountain spring spirit in me. Wonderful. Father, Son, Spirit in me. The fountain came in, in the Son. The Father fountain came in the Son as the spring. And now the spring flows as the Spirit, which is the river. We have Father, Son, Spirit. We have fountain spring river in our being. And this is the river of God's pleasures. It, it just makes you happy. And, and, and if, if you want to take a picture, then that's when you should take a picture because I can't put on a smiley face before a camera. No matter what trick you try to use, I just am too self-conscious to do it. And so you're either going to have to settle for sourpuss looks or you're going to have to get spy on me and take a picture when I'm drinking the living water. And, and then you'll get a real smile, okay? D, the process triune God is the fountain, the springs, and the river of water of life. The Father is the fountain. Amen. The Son is the springs. Amen. And the Spirit is the river of water of life. God is our salvation, is the fountain. Christ is the springs for, of salvation for our experience and enjoyment. And the Spirit is the flow of this salvation within us. Amen. Then this will consummate God's eternal economy to bring forth the new Jerusalem. The water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. And, and this is the up-to-date translation, even from what I read, was not the latest translation, springing up into eternal life. But let's not be hung up over the text, the reality, whether it's gushing, it's springing, the Father is the fountain, the Son is the gushing, the springing, and the river is the flow. The triune God flows in the divine trinity in three stages. The Father is the fountain, the Son is the springs, and the Spirit is the river. The flowing of the triune God is into eternal life. That is into the new Jerusalem. Because the whole flow is going toward a consummation, which is the city of living water. The new Jerusalem is the totality of the eternal life. 
Thus, into eternal life means into the new Jerusalem. The Father as the fountain, the Son as the springs, and the Spirit as the river flow into us and with us into the new Jerusalem to be the new Jerusalem. By drinking the living water, we become the new Jerusalem. The principle, we become by drinking. The totality of the eternal life, the destination of the flowing triune God. I don't know about you, but I am so happy this morning. Um, and not, it's not because of mood. It's not because of anything outward. It's because of the fountain, the spring, and the river. And I'm so glad you've got fountain, spring, and river in you. So why don't, why don't you take 20 minutes or so and let the fountain spring up and flow. Let's draw water out of the springs of salvation in one another's spirits. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen.